0: I look back on the eight years we've been talking, and
1: it seems it's like just every year. It's gotten worse. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. We were talking about this thing, same thing eight years ago, right? And it's just gotten worse. And it's like, wait a minute,
2: ladies and gentlemen, the
1: of America. What's their track record for being in control of the planet? Uh, it's not very good, two world wars, huge depressions, you know, lots of suffering, lots of death of the humans, okay, so it's enough that I think that once you study this subject in all seriousness, it's time to ask, are they even us? They want us dead, and so I'm telling people you better start paying attention to all this uh, New World Order talk, because this is not just a philosophical debate, this is self-defense. You better know what these people are up to and start taking steps to protect yourself and your family. Speaking of, they keep saying, guns kill, guns kill. You know, uh, I had a shotgun, and I loaded it up and set it over in the corner, and and uh, it, it's been there for a long, long time, <laughs> it, it ain't killed anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, I guess, uh, I guess it's falling down on the job.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of banalofamerica.com with the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 8. Welcome to what I am sure is going to be an unforgettable series of paranormal and parapolitical conversations, which you're going to be hearing here on our eighth season of programming. For those folks who are wondering what BOA Audio Season 8 will entail, stay tuned to the end of the program where I will share... The details of BOA Audio Season 8 and what will make it different from any previous season of the program. But first, it's time to kick off the season as we do every year with our traditional season premiere guest, the legendary Jim Mars. Who joins us for a discussion on his new book, Our Occulted History, which asks the question... Do the global elite conceal ancient aliens? Over the course of this conversation, we are going to discuss how academia and the mainstream media cover up anomalous astronomical and archaeological discoveries. We'll talk about how history's winners have consistently destroyed information about humanity's past, as well as why the powers that be kept the knowledge of North America hidden, from the population for centuries. We'll also delve into the Sumerian creation epic, the modern UFO phenomenon, the pros and cons of the internet and cell phones, overpopulation myths, mass shootings, the potential for a military coup in the United States, the Ross Perot saga, and the JFK assassination, plus, of course, tons and tons more. Overlooking what will likely be one of the most unique and enlightening seasons of BOA audio in our storied history, we begin the journey by returning to where it all began, with the iconic Jim Mars. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Jim Mars, please allow me to take a moment and provide you with some background on him. After graduating with a degree in journalism from the University of North Texas, he served in the U.S. Army Army after which he became a reporter for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Jim worked for and owned several Texas newspapers before becoming an independent journalist-slash-author. His in-depth investigative book, Alien Agenda, has been cited as the best-selling non-fiction book on UFOs in the world, having been translated into several languages. He is also the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy, a basis for the Oliver Stone film JFK, and Rule by Secrecy, the hidden history that connects the Trilateral Commission, the Freemasons, and the Great Pyramids. He's also the author of Psy Spies, The Terror Conspiracy, Rise of the Fourth Reich, and The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. His latest book is titled Our Occulted History. His website is www.jimmars.com. Pretty simple, all one word, JimMars.com. Check it out. And with all that said, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on September 26, 2013. Jim Mars on the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 8. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 8. It is unbelievable at times to imagine that we are about to kick off our eighth year of programming here on Banal of America Audio. And as is tradition here on the show, we begin each season with the legendary investigative reporter Jim Mars, who, as I've told the story a million times, so I feel like I need to tell it every year to kick off the show. If I hadn't discovered Rule by Secrecy, you know, I never would have started this journey, and it began back in 2002. So 11 years on, it all began with my discovery of Rule by Secrecy, and I absolutely love that book. And I love all of his books. I've read them all, of course. He is the author of Crossfire, Rule by Secrecy, Alien Agenda, Psy Spies, Inside Job, Above Top Secret, Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, and the fiction book, Sisterhood of the Rose. And here in Season 8, we're going to be talking about his new book, Our Occulted History, which is absolutely fantastic, folks. I cannot put this book over enough. It really made me nostalgic, almost. I felt like I was back in 2002 when I first discovered Rule by Secrecy and Alien Agenda. It feels almost like a spiritual successor to those two books. Uh sort of bridges the gap between those two, and it is really just tremendously well-researched, and just sucks you in and just keeps you reading uh, throughout the entire book. So I absolutely loved it. It is Our Occulted History, and we're back here with Jim Morris to talk about it on the program. Welcome back to the show,
1: Jim. Thanks for helping us kick off our eighth year of programming here on BOA Audio. Isn't it amazing how time flies when you're having fun? It really is. And learning things. Let me um, Let me explain that when I use the term occulted, I use it uh not, th- this book is not about devil worship or zombies or mm-hmm. anything that we might think of as the occult. I use the term occulted in the astronomical sense uh when the moon eclipses the sun, it's called an occultation. it occults the sun, so it actually only means occult only means hidden or mask, so uh we're talking about our hidden history uh that's what it is and Tim uh I think since you've read the book you know that uh it it starts with the big bang theory and then comes all the way up through ancient astronauts and all the way up and what I've really done here uh is well my starting hypothesis was do the uh current new world order the the 1% the illuminati whatever you want to call them right uh, that uh, obviously control the large corporations and the and the large multinational banks, uh, can they be tracked all the way back through their secret societies and through bloodlines to uh, another popular topic, which is ancient astronauts? And the answer is yes, as you can see from the material that I presented in our occulted history.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It was was just fascinating. I was riveted. I really enjoyed the you see, like you said it's, it's it's a vast book it starts out at the beginning <laughs> of the universe and takes us up until probably when you had to turn in the manuscript so it's it's pretty <laughs> Still remarkable um and i was
1: adding stuff in there even as it was going to press
0: i can imagine because uh there was a section at the end about uh government spying and you, you were almost uh you were almost a soothsayer in that one because you you didn't have the edward snowden material yet but you pretty much nailed it there too so
1: yeah well, this has been known for a good number of years of the people who are actually paying attention and not uh, blindsided by the corporate mass media. Uh, all Edward Snowden did was simply confirm what a lot of people already knew. Exactly. Um, just to sort of uh, – we'll, we'll
0: sort of I – have, I have various notes here, but I, I, did, I almost wanted this to be kind of a companion to the book instead of uh, something where we're going to give away the book because we, we, we want folks to go pick this up because it's amazing. Um I was really interested and just blown away by, we're not talking about one or two here, we're talking about a myriad of really weird astronomical mysteries that still exist despite how science is so, you know, quote-unquote sure about everything that's going on out there in space. I, I was i was really amazed by that as I was reading the book, because you just get hit one after another after another. It's like, where did the moon come from? How did the moon even get formed? And... You know, why is the Earth so perfectly in place here and there and all this? It's like unbelievable stuff that, you know, when you get down brass tacks, these scientists who poo-poo everything paranormal and mysterious, they really don't know the answers to a lot of these questions either.
1: No, they really don't. In fact, uh, there is a lot of cover-up going on, and a lot of people don't want to admit that to themselves or or whatever, but uh, let me give you some for instances. Mm -hmm. There are just, uh, well, too many NASA photographs taken of the moon or Mars that show obvious signs of of manipulation and of cover-up. I mean, there's little fuzzed-out places, you know. they Come on. Anyone who knows anything should know that we have satellites now with such resolution that they can read the label of a beer can that you're holding in your hand standing in your yard in a suburb of Los Angeles, California, okay? And yet they give us these pictures of the moon and Mars, and some portions of them look fairly sharp, and then there's little areas where it's just obviously been painted or blurred over or pixelated out. Well, what are they hiding? Uh, I'll give you a couple of other examples. Um, the uh, idea that so many people have been talking about, about the fact that a Tenth Planet or Planet X or Nibiru, what you, whatever you want to call it, right. some heavenly body is approaching our solar system. Uh, and actually, this could explain the weather and climate changes that we are now seeing. Of course, Al Gore and others have blamed it on our SUVs and our automobiles, but uh, there is a... Uh, equal number of scientists who are not on the payroll who say no that's not right this is just normal cyclic activity here on the earth and and the key point is the proof is is that whatever is causing the climate change and there is climate change on the earth there are uh, harsher climates and colder winters and hotter summers and and more tsunamis and major earthquakes and, and uh, volcanic eruptions, all kinds of things going on. But it's not just the Earth. The polar ice caps on Mars are receding, means they're melting, so it's heating up there. There's ice melting on the moons of Jupiter. Uh, the outer planets are becoming more luminescent, which means basically they're kind of heating up. So whatever is happening, it's impacting our entire solar system, not just the Earth. So sorry, Al Gore, but we don't really need all those carbon tax credits because uh, it 's not just the earth it 's the entire solar system, uh, and obviously uh, that 's not impacted by uh, our driving our cars um, and then uh, and then we have uh, the uh, story of of Planet X and Nibiru that could certainly explain this climate change and yet when you go and and type in Nibiru for Wikipedia you get this whole long thing about it It all started in 1995 with a uh, Wisconsin woman who said she was contacted by aliens and tells this whole story and said it's going to blow up the world in 2012 which obviously didn't happen and they just generally make light of the whole subject and yet um, in my book, Our Cultured History, you'll find that there's been serious scientific study of a possible tenth planet uh, since 1843, and uh, that uh, there is, has been mainstream media stories. In fact, just as recently as uh, about a year ago, uh, they said they had reason to believe there was another planet uh, approaching our solar system out beyond the Cooper Belt, uh, asteroid belt which is even out past Pluto. Yeah. Um and so, you know, it, wait a minute. This, this is kind of a cover up. Another thing I mentioned is if you go to Google and type in Bosnian pyramid, they've discovered what they say is a, the largest pyramid in the world. It's even larger than the Great Pyramid in Egypt in Bosnia, over in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'll go to Wikipedia again, type in Bosnia Pyramid, you'll find a little short page article uh quoting a select scientist saying, oh, no, there's nothing there, it's just a hill. And yet, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have <clears throat> talked with people who've been there um, and seen the uh, photographs, uh, videos of the tunnels and the rooms inside this so-called natural hill. In fact, one of my best friends just got back from traveling to the Bosnian Pyramid, and she was down in the tunnels uh, and into the chambers within this uh, pyramid, which they still claim is just a natural hill. So there's just tremendous cover-up going on. And, Tim, as you recall from reading the book, uh, when I talk about uh, all of the anomalous material that has disappeared into the the, uh, Smithsonian Institution, Uh, going back to the bones of giant beings, okay? And when I say giant, I'm not talking about 8- and 10-foot tall people because we, we have those today uh, occasionally. But I'm talking about 15, 18 feet high, huge. Thing. Who are these people? Where did they come from? And the bones are still here. And they've been discovered all around the world, even in uh, Middle America, uh, the Indian mounds. Uh, In the the Mississippi Valley, Uh, you know, so there's just so much going on that we are not being told about.
0: Right. That's the amazing part. It's like not just uh, out in the universe, but it's also our our past, our story, our history as a race, as a human race, you know, it's like what... It's maddening in a way, um, you know, and uh, y- over the course of the book, you know, you see the recurring sort of pattern of the, the winners writing history and destroying all this information about their uh, fallen foes, you know, b- burning libraries.
1: It's just it's stunning, Uh you know. Oh, I'd give anything yeah, I'd give anything if I could go back and read, uh, translated into English, of course. Yeah. But read some of the books that were destroyed when the uh, huge library at Alexandria was dis- was burned and destroyed. I mean, so much of our ancient history has been just uh, burned up or destroyed in wars or natural disasters. It's amazing. Why do you think they? They. I mean, why? Why does this happen? I guess is the question. Why? I mean, don't they have any
0: respect for their own past? as a
1: species? Well, apparently not. You you may recall before our invasion of Afghanistan in uh, 2001, uh, everybody was upset because the Taliban was destroying. Uh, all those big ancient, statues, yeah. Uh, statues and all kinds of stuff. I, I, it, religion has played a huge part in all of that. You know, any time they showed up, that's like uh, when the Spanish came and conquered um, Central America, uh, and they said, well, these are heathens and they're all of the devil. So they went in and destroyed so much of the Mayan civilization. Uh, and you see that all over the place. But I'm here to tell you, I think that uh, although a lot of that, and of course the Christians, you know, they they need to take uh, credit for some of that, too. There was so much uh, at the time that Napoleon conquered England, eh, eh, not England, eh, uh, Egypt they uh, the Christians went in the great pyramid and said they found say they found devices in there mechanical things but they said these these are not christians so therefore they're of the devil so they hauled everything out of the great pyramid and destroyed it Oh, this is just unconscionable and and stupid on top of that right but I'm here to tell you Tim I think that even though that's all been done in the name of religion all the religions um i think there was an, an, an impetus coming from i don't i these bloodlines the yeah. uh, people who were trying to control everything and i think that they encourage this so that they can keep us uh, barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, as they say, <laughs> yeah, for the whole human race, you know and it's and and I guess the bottom line is is that how can we ever know uh our future and where we're going if we don't have an accurate history of where we've been, exactly, yeah,
0: yeah, and you touched on another part of that the point here that i I was going to make about this sort of idea of the winner's writing history, and you really hit the nail on the head when you said uh that it was stupid because. In the book, you point out instances like the little models of the plane that they built, that they rebuilt, and could fly, and and stories yeah. of possible immunization. And then we hear about the uh, the ant- Antikythera mechanism that was like an ancient computer. And and mm-hmm. and it's just maddening to think like where this, where we would be as a species if if we didn't keep shooting ourselves in the foot. Because why do we <laughs> right. keep having if to rediscover keep,
1: these things if they didn't keep all of this technology away from us? Right. You know? <clears throat> well, if you want the proof of conspiracy, and not only proof of con- that there is such a thing as as a vast conspiracy, but the proof of probably the greatest conspiracy taking place today uh, is simply this. Um, we know, and you know, and I know you agree with me, and I think everyone listening would agree with me, that we have the technology right off the shelf available today to provide food, clothing, shelter, and basic health care to every single living human being on this planet. We can do it. But, And yet, at the same time, while you're even listening to my voice, in the back of your mind you know that there are literally thousands, if not millions, of children literally starving to death right. on the planet right now. Now, wait a minute. I don't want that. You don't want that. I doubt any of your listeners want that. So why is it that way? Well, once you get past some of the facile uh rationales such as, well, it's politics and it's money and it's blah, blah, uh uh-uh. it's that way because somewhere someone wants it that way. If nobody wanted it that way, it wouldn't be that way, right? Yeah. So we have the capacity. For making the earth a virtual living paradise for every single person. And yet, look at us. Look at America. Look at the United States. We are still one of the richest countries in the world, uh, in mineral resources, uh, in basic materials, and with a reasonably educated workforce that wants to work, okay? So why are we in such economic straits? Why are we $16 trillion in debt? And that's just what the government admits to. Other economists have looked at hidden charges and unreported charges and debts, and actually we're probably up to $30, 40000000000000 trillion in debt, more than our entire gross national product put together for a number of years. Why is it that well why how how do we get like that but again because somebody somewhere wants it that way and to me that is the proof of conspiracy it's uh
0: it's a sad state of affairs we're in right now that's for sure and uh I look back on the eight years we've been talking and it seems it's just like every
1: gotten
0: year. Worse, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's <laughs> incredible. We were talking about this same same thing eight years ago. Right. And it's just gotten worse. And it's like, wait a minute, and we've had two presidential elections since then and we've had uh you know, four congressional elections uh, and yet, here's what I don't understand, Tim. I don't, I, everyone I talk to, uh, I, I don't know of anybody who is perfectly ha- happy and satisfied with the way the country's going. Okay? No, yeah. Nobody. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, they keep re-electing the same jerks that go back to Congress, you know? And then wonder why nothing changes i think it was albert einstein who said you know the the very definition of of uh, insanity and stupidity is to repeat the same experiment over and over again and expect a different result and you keep electing the same people to congress you're going to get the same policies that have got us in the position we're in today
0: yeah it's uh... i don't get
1: it. i just don't get it <laughs>
2: I don't...
0: no i don't get it either and uh and it beyond just the Machinations of the powers that be. It's like, uh, things are getting worse here on the planet. You know, it's uh, we, like I said, in the eight years since we've talked, what are we, we've had, uh, I think we talked right after Katrina and then, then we had the Gulf, uh, the, the oil spill in the Gulf right. and then Fukushima. It's like, man, we're breaking this thing. We're, <laughs> we're not doing a good job taking care well, of it. Well, and planet. you
1: mentioned Fukushima and you mentioned, uh, the, uh, Gulf. Uh, you know, all that's still going. There's still all right. dumping into the Gulf. They're still spraying, corrects it. Down there. In fact, you know uh, the Gulf fishermen. will tell you, don't eat anything out of the Gulf. And now Fukushima, it's still spewing radiation. They just had another plume go off just the other day, and they're expecting uh, already this about right now, about today, some of that radiation is going to be hitting the West Coast. I mean, you know, these are environmental absolute disasters. And although they were reported. At the time they they began, you, you don't hear anything about them much in the media now. No, no. But it's still ongoing.
0: If you do, it's like the fifth story of the nightly news. They're kind of uh-huh. like, oh yeah, there's still problems going on over there, but you know, people. Well, you just, see, a, yeah. you'll
1: see an occasional story on the back pages of the newspaper, but I, I'm not even sure you get anything on the broadcast media. You know, it's just, yeah. that, that's just to them, it's old news, and so a lot of people forget. That uh, you know, we're being irradiated. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they want. They want us to not know that.
0: Exactly. Um, now, uh to, to sort of looking at again the occulted history of our of our species here. What I was interested in, and uh, I didn't notice this in the book, so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about this. We you talked about the Rees map, and it's it's pretty well known, I think, amongst those of us who are you know a part of the esoteric that that America was known about, that North America was known about, by at least the powers that be, for quite some time. Why did it take so long for them to get to America uh, and, quote-unquote, discover it, as the history books tell us?
1: Yeah, well, you know, you're absolutely right. In fact, the old Knights Templars, uh, which go back to the uh, 10th, 11th century, they uh, had a, a huge sailing fleet uh and uh headquartered at La Rochelle, France, and they actually traveled and traversed the entire world uh There was an ancient ruins of a port uh on the Pacific side of South America in what is now chile yeah uh that uh had uh Templar symbols and uh logos all over it and there's even a statue up in uh i want to say New Hampshire, I believe. That uh, is a uh, Templar uh, statue. So obviously, they had reached North America. The Vikings, Leif Erikson, of course, reached North America. Yeah. They the, the educated people at the time knew there was something here. Uh, they uh, and the and the Peary Reefs maps show that. In fact, the Peary Reefs maps to me are pretty. Encouraging. He was a. Uh, Uh, 15th century Turkish admiral, and he drew up these very detailed maps uh, um, showing accurately the tributaries of the Amazon River, which uh, was not known to us until the geophysical year of 1958 when they did the flyovers and photographed uh, the Amazon River. He also showed Antarctica and accurately drew the shoreline of the continent of Antarctica, which today is buried under hundreds of feet of ice. And it was only with the advent of ground-penetrating radar that they were able to determine the exact configuration of the Antarctic coast, and yet it matches up perfectly with Perry Reese's map. How could he have known that? Well, he wrote himself that he used ancient maps from Greece, from ancient Greece, and they themselves had based these maps on even earlier maps, earlier than the uh, Greek culture. And what really gets me is that uh, these maps uh, are very detailed and accurate until they get to the edges of the map, in which case sometimes the shorelines become a little elongated and a little distorted. Yeah. Well, that, of course, has to do with the curvature of the earth and the fact that the higher up you get, the, the more distorted the uh, ends become. But what that tells me is that these ancient maps were based on possibly aerial photographs. So, but wait a minute, <laughs> you know, supposedly there was no heavier than air flight in human history until the Wright brothers flew in 1906. So, whoa, wait a minute, where did they get aerial photographs? And, hmm. of course, that comes back to the fact that almost every ancient culture in the world, from the Aborigines of Australia to the Dogon tribe of Africa to the North American natives, uh, all over the world, Chinese, the ancient uh, Egyptians, and, of course, the world's first known great civilization, which was in Sumer in Mesopotamia. And they all claimed that the gods came from the sky and were flying around and landed and taught them language, law, agriculture, you know, Yeah. Uh, the whole thing. And so I think that this is what has given rise to the increasingly popular idea of ancient astronauts. And I think the evidence for, uh, the, that idea that extraterrestrials visited the earth in our uh, distant historical past is, is just more than compelling, you know. Hmm. I think it's, uh, I think it's just. Very obvious that that's exactly what happened, and particularly when all the ancient tribes try to tell us that's what happened.
0: Exactly. Um, But to circle back a little bit here on this question, why do you? And I know it's speculative, but why do you think they kept the secret of America secret for so long, and then then you know played it out almost like a reality show where they were say, "Oh, we found this whole new world over here," when they knew all along. Like, why do you think they did it that way?
1: Well, I think basically, and it's the, I think it's the same reason that they're not telling us today about our true history and about the very things we've been talking about, which is knowledge is power. Mm. And if you keep people ignorant, then you can maintain power over them. Uh, if they wise up, if they realize, for example, one of the reasons I think they wanted to not tell the common folk, if you will, yeah. about the existence of... uh of North America, South, the Americas, uh, was that uh, they would get out from under their control. The whole history of Western civilization is one of westward movement. Uh, as we all know, we even taught in school that it all began in the Fertile Crescent between the Tigris, Euphrates, Rivers, which is in what is now Iraq, the one place on the world that we can't just freely travel to, uh, and then the population, the human population, spread northward through the Caucasus Mountains into southern Russia, and then into Eastern Europe, and then to Western Europe, and then to the British Isles. And then it also moved southward to Palestine and Egypt, and then uh, Greece, Rome, uh, Western Europe, the British Isles, and then the Western nations, France and Spain and and England, they sent the the colonists over and they began to colonize the east coast of North America. And then, of course, in the uh, 19th century, uh, the population just kept moving west and covered up the entire North American continent. Uh, So, why? Why did, Was everybody unhappy? Why didn't they just stay home? Didn't nobody like where it was, where they were living? Well, historians really make no big secret about it. This huge westward movement was because people were trying to escape religious and political tyranny. Hmm. So they just move. Well, you know... The the would be controllers they want to control everybody so they don't want anybody moving so for the long for hundreds of years they kept telling the world was flat and you can't go westward or you'll fall off the edge of the world (laughs) yeah yeah well keeps them home and under thumb that makes
0: sense yeah absolutely yeah yeah well let's see you know and and to turn that on its head a little bit I've used this sort of argument with skeptics in the past where you know they refuse to believe the idea that that what we're talking about, that this whole thing was kept secret. So they say, you know, oh, well, they didn't discover America till whenever. And it's like, well, then how can you say if, if human history went so long and then they found out there was this entire continent right next to, you know, right next to Europe and the Middle East, they never never knew about it then how can you say that, that aliens don't exist? How can you say we haven't discovered, you know, there's clearly there's massive things we haven't discovered yet because it, we can see it from the mainstream version of history.
1: Well, we're seeing the same thing now that I mentioned earlier, which is you're seeing the these uh, NASA photographs of the moon, Mars, some of these other planets, and they're, and they're airbrushing them, and they're painting yeah. out stuff, and they're covering stuff up because they still want to keep us contained and, and under their control. Yeah, and of course the uh, the main method of control has shifted. In the distant past, it was always religion. Uh, you know, God uh, told me that I'm to be the priest, and I'm going to tell you what God wants you to do, and you better do it, or you'd be punished by God. Okay, and then, but with the advent of the printing press. Uh, and everyone got to read the Bible. Uh, Tim, are you aware that for several hundred years there, after the invention of the printing press, it was a crime to print the Bible? No, I and, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the universal... Roman church said, uh, that's, uh, that's blasphemous and that's, that's a sin and that's, so we're gonna make that illegal. And so one of the first books that was banned and was only passed around surreptitiously, you know, was the Bible. Hey, hey buddy, hey buddy, I want a Bible. You know, but then after a while it was out so much that they just couldn't couldn't keep it secret anymore and then, but you know, it was all the way up into the late 1960s, maybe even in the 70s that the Catholic Church finally stopped doing all the services in Latin. And they did that so that only the priesthood, only the educated, only the people who knew Latin could understand what they were saying. And then of course this is why you had the, the priesthood to tell everybody, well, this is what it all means. This is what it says. And then after the uh, Bible came along and after Martin Luther Packed his thesis on the door and everything. then people begin to realize that everything that the church was telling them was not necessarily what was in the Bible, so the hope uh, the whole uh, control uh, through religion began to wane and, and it 's still waning even today so uh, starting in the whole seventeen hundreds I suppose uh, early seventeen hundreds we saw the control mechanism shift from religion to Finances, okay? Hmm. And it's, uh, it's the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. That's right. And we definitely see that going on today because today, you know, we do not have slavery per se as it was known, say, back in the, uh, 1700s, early 1800s, where people were sold and traded like chattel. Uh, but today we have financial servitude. Uh, you have people, and it's called wage slaves. And I think we all understand this because, because unless you're independently wealthy, you have to work for a living. You get your paycheck. The government automatically takes a good chunk of it. And then whatever you get, you have to spend the rest on paying off your mortgage and your bank cards and your loans mm-hmm. and, you know, and, usually there's little or nothing left and so you cannot just freely move around when you want to you can't just go move to another state or another part of the country if you want to yeah you can't just go travel around the world you know because you're stuck trying to make meet those monthly payments those bills and uh... Isn't it interesting how the post office will sometimes mess up your mail and you'll get something that's kind of broken into or it's been kind of trashed out, but but those bills just seem to come in like clockwork, and nothing ever <laughs> seems to happen to them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they leave the bills alone. That's true. Yeah. I never thought of that. Um, well, it's it's interesting, you know. I was thinking about it, uh, and you, you kind of mentioned it in the in the book that you know there was a, seemed like there was sort of a period there where the human race the the we're we're going to go on the premise that the sumerian epic is is factually 100% you know it's watertight right now just uh for the sake of argument here and and you right. make you make and, of, and and of
1: course that's that's what's actually been happening there's really not that much argument over the translation of these ancient Sumerian tablets. In fact, if you want to read the story of Enki and Enlil, these their Anunnaki gods, and the stories, the alliteration uh, narratives of uh, our beginnings, and on like that, we you can find it in the Encyclopedia Britannica. The problem is it 's not under any factual thing it 's under you only find it under Sumerian mythology, right so the only thing that 's really changed in recent years is that there 's a growing number of scholars uh, beginning with uh, Zachariah Zichen, but now including many many more, who simply say that hey, maybe these ancient Sumerians when they were telling us about these uh, the Anunnaki, which translates those who came from the heavens and landed on the earth, uh, and when they tell about them colonizing and building a civilization and flying through the air and having weapons that could destroy whole cities with a single blast and all like that, maybe they weren't just making up things. Uh, Mythological characters and events. Maybe they were actually telling us what they knew to be true.
0: Yeah, exactly. So jumping from there, it's it's interesting that you sort of mentioned this kind of like a point in the in the history books here, or the history uh, that we we're sort of uh, unfolding in the course of the, the book and the conversation here. That, you know, at some point the the Sumerians or the ETs, uh, they leave. They're gone. And then the human race becomes, like, abandoned. It it, it develops this sort of, like, abandonment complex. And Mm -hmm. and it starts to resemble a cargo cult. I thought that was interesting. uh, Because that could happen again if this ever – if we ever recognize – the sumerian epic as the true history of the human race i can imagine and, and forget about modern aliens and modern ufos if they just if they were just like hey listen we realize that this is how it all happened guys i think that would have a tremendously weird effect on the human race because then we would become like this abandoned child mentality uh for everybody because you know our gods left
2: us
1: yeah exactly well, and and along that line, I think that since the, uh, way back there, they created kingship, okay, mm-hmm. and and the priesthoods, uh, because the, you know if you if you're uh, trying to run the planet of the apes and you come from <laughs> somewhere else, you're Charlton Heston, you're not an ape, you don't want to just be another ape, you want to run the planet of the apes, yeah, and yet and yet what are the odds that you can physically control seven billion apes you know you just can't do it so how would you try to control the the planet of the apes well you would stay in the background you would stay hidden and you'd find some of the more intelligent apes and you'd recruit them as your go-betweens your liaison and then you would pass the orders to them they would turn would get the the uh the ape herd moving in the direction <laughs> they wanted and uh uh, they would say that God told them to do that, you know. All right. Uh, and when if Charlton Heston and the, or the Anunnaki go leave the Earth and they they leave the planet and go somewhere else, well then the priesthood or they want to be just another ape. No, they're going to continue the priesthood, and they, even though the gods are no longer around, no longer physical. They can say, yeah, but but they're still there. This is when they shifted to the monotheistic God. God is, you know, way up in heaven somewhere, somewhere up in the clouds, and you can't see him, but he can see you, and he's running everything. But, by the way, I represent him, so give me the tithes and the money. Uh, you know, I, I find it quite telling that uh, uh, Jesus the Christ, uh, who is also called the Prince of Peace, You know, who preached basically love and, and, uh, conciliation. Uh, the one time he got really physically violent was what? Against the money changers, against the bankers. And were they in their banks? No, they were in the temple. So you saw that you see way back there, this blending of, of, uh, church and state and the finance system with the religious system. Uh, and that goes on today too. Uh, so, yeah. it, it, and it, it, let me quickly point out that <laughs> I'm not arguing against spirituality. Uh, I know a lot of people are not particularly religious, but they are very spiritual, if you can understand the distinction. Absolutely,
0: Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting point because you you mentioned Jesus a couple times in the book, but you didn't really delve much into the, all the various theories surrounding him. There've been whole books written about that. but uh, Oh yeah, you know, that, what's your that's take another on whole
1: topic. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, well, <laughs> you know, what's your take on that? Because there's theories. Well, this number one, I years. don't, I don't want, I don't feel like it's proper to go try to mess with somebody's religious beliefs. Mm, you yeah, know, we're absolutely. We yeah. have freedom of religion in this country. If you want to worship a tree or you want to worship Jesus or you want to worship whatever, I think that's your. Right to do so, mm-hmm. uh, but that right to worship however you want to, I think ends if it starts including let 's kill everybody doesn 't believe the way I believe <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> okay, so it's uh' it's, it's, it's a little uh philosophy called freedom, you know, gee, what a concept i seem, we seem <laughs> to have lost uh, lost track of that one um, so but as far as what I would think about um. I, I feel like it's up to each individual, uh, but I, the only thing I would encourage is instead of just picking up what your parents taught you or what the church that you grew up in taught you, start thinking for yourself. Read everything. Read a wide variety of things. Study the other religions. Study, study spirituality. Uh, and then it's going to be up to the individual to just determine uh, where the parameters are of their belief. Okay. Now another sort of area that that I want
0: to explore with you here is uh the so the first part of the book is the the origins and then the the you know the latter part of the book is sort of the now and uh you didn't really touch on it in the in the now part of the book but the, you know obviously in this whole overarching theory here or or story you got the aliens in the ancient times but now we've got the aliens potentially coming back right now and we have the modern day UFO phenomenon and if the powers that be don't want us to know about our ancient alien past then they certainly can't be happy that the aliens are coming back unless they're in cahoots with them right
1: right well first first if if since you were assuming for the sake of argument that these anunnaki were real people right and uh that they represented non-humans mm-hmm. uh then then i think the big question comes about is that Well, okay, if these ancient astronauts, if these Anunnaki gods were on the Earth physically, uh, you know, um, thousands of years ago, there's only one or two possibilities. Either at some point they all left or some of them are still around, right? Yeah. So how do we determine the answer to that? Well, I submit that it's pretty easy, actually, because... To learn the answer, all you have to do is study uh, what is known of human history. Now, of course, uh, what we are taught in school and what most people are still uh, believing is that w- human history is just one of slow evolutionary growth, starting with cavemen and then hunter gatherers and then you know communities and <clears throat> city states and then empires and nations. Okay, and under that thing, then you know, there's no big deal, there's nobody but us. But that's not really what history teaches, does it? You've got the flying dragons of the Chinese, you've got the flying boats of the Egyptians, you've got the flying shields of the Romans, and you've got accounts from the Middle Ages, you've got the uh, UFO phenomena of today, the uh, abduction uh, experiences, the cattle mutilations, the crop circles... Obviously, somebody is here. Okay? Well, now if they're here, then that, of course, begs the question, then where are they? Who are they? And what do they want? Right. Well, okay. So now we just shift gears and we start thinking about uh, the concept of the New World Order, which, of course, was mentioned by Adolf Hitler when he said he was going to bring a new order, a new world order, and was mentioned by Ronald Reagan and was mentioned by George Herbert Walker Bush that we're going to bring in a new world order. And so you've got these uh, individuals, you've got a small clique of people that are trying to run the world. And uh, this is not just conspiracy theory. Uh, in 2011, um, there was a study... In Switzerland called the uh, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology and they did a study in of forty three thousand multinational corporations and they found that they were essentially controlled by just a little over a thousand uh, companies private companies with interlocking ownerships and these uh, thirteen hundred companies were in turn controlled by about twenty multinational banks and collectively they control more than sixty percent of all global revenues now that is an incredible concentration of power so there is really no question about the fact that a small clique of of someone is trying to control the entire world through the economic system uh, and so the question is, do they connect to these Anunnaki gods? And I believe they do. Uh, for one example, this kind of blew me away when I found that the Rothschild banking dynasty, which is, has been, was so powerful beginning in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, and still will considerable, uh, power today, uh, they claim that they are the descendants of Nimrod the ancient Sumerian god-king. So they're very much aware of this connection, and uh, they certainly believe in it. And so it doesn't really matter whether uh, we, as individuals, want to believe in any of this or not. The point is, they do. Right, right. And you
0: wonder if the current UFO cover-up is, in turn, really more of a cover-up of the past, of the distant past, you know, where they don't want us putting the pieces together on all this.
1: Yeah. And not only that, but then when you stop and figure, okay, these people have had uh, you know, inordinate control over world affairs for several centuries now, and possibly even more going back into the past, because as you'll read in our cultured history, those bloodlines trace back to the royalty of England, France, uh, Germany, and uh, goes all the way back into the control of the Roman Empire, hmm. and then goes all the way back but uh just recently say in the 20th century uh what's their track record for being in control of the planet uh, it's not very good two world wars <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, huge depressions you know lots of suffering lots of death of the humans okay so it's enough that i think that once you study this subject in all seriousness it's time to uh, to ask are they even us
0: <laughs> that's one of the big takeaways from the book um you know are they are they even us being being humans now i i don't know if you're familiar with the the concept put forward by rich dolan that that there's sort of this breakaway civilization it, these kind of may go hand in hand where it's like maybe they may still be humans but they've they've elevated themselves or put themselves on such a pedestal that they don't they no longer see themselves as as average people I think right. that's kind of clear.
1: Right. Well, I'm very familiar with Rich's uh, uh, idea of the breakaway civilization. And basically, uh, I think you should call it the the third way, okay? Yeah. Uh, and we certainly saw this during the Cold War because uh, we had the socialist East versus the capitalist West with certain areas where they were overlapping. For example, uh, in, in the space program, uh, you had the Soviet, the old Soviet Union uh was producing huge heavy lift rockets that could carry huge payloads up into space that's why they were first both putting a woman in space a man in space a orbiting satellite etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, the United States on the other hand our space program was more concerned with the uh, electronics and the guidance systems etc cetera, etc cetera, okay and uh, that was the big comp- competitive push, and it seemed like there were two separate space programs, and yet if you study it closely, you'll find that a lot of the Nazi scientists working on our space program were not particularly monitored, and they were in touch with their counterparts over in Russia, and so at that level, and by the people who were allowing these Nazis to come to the United States and profit from their knowledge and their technology, I think this is where there was a third space program that combined the heavy lift capabilities of the Soviets with the guidance systems of the West. And they were pushing on ahead while, uh, Russia and the United States were still struggling trying to keep up with each other. And I think that's what Rich Dolan and others have called this breakaway civilization. Right. And if there was nothing else on the record, Tim, I would wholeheartedly jump on that and say, yeah, that's got to be the, the answer. But, again, when you consider the um, cattle mutilation phenomena, the crop circles and the UFO things, you know, and the fact that they predate flight, I mean, I live just about eight miles from uh, Aurora, Texas, where they said they had a spaceship crash and buried the pilot in the Aurora Cemetery, and this was in 1897, six years before the Wright brothers flew. Hmm. So considering all that, I think, yeah, there's a breakaway civilization, but it's not really breakaway. It's an outside civilization that's been with us since time immemorial. You just wonder what's going to happen if they ever want to let us know here they're they're here. That's right. Well, that's everybody. You know, in the UFO community, keeps talking about disclosure. You know, when are they going to disclose the truth of all this? And I'm here to tell you, I don't think the government will ever voluntarily tell us that. You know, you're not going to see President Obama come on national television and say, oh, "Okay, folks, we have reason to believe that." Uh, that there's life outside the earth, and we're in contact with them, but don't panic. Everything's cool, you know. Uh, no, that ain't going to happen. But like you said, Tim, it's going to be up to them. Uh, all they have to do is appear before some major U.S. cities or, or any cities around the world and then hang there long enough for the news crews to get out and start taking uh, videotape of them, and the game's up, right? Right. But that, but that hasn't happened yet. And I don't think it's going to happen, uh, although I think the time is fast approaching that we may see something like that happen, because I think that these uh, other races have a uh, an understanding, if you will, uh, almost a law uh, akin to the Star Trek idea, uh, you know, of, uh, of their ultimate law, which is you do not... Uh, overtly interfere with the uh, natural evolution of a species. They call it the prime directive but yet yet these uh, folks so while they are prescribed from from uh, just directly interfering with us I think there have been attempts to, uh, let themselves be seen, to, uh, have so many people have so many experiences that slowly in the collective consciousness, we are becoming aware that we're not alone in the universe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, it, you wonder if the, if the end game on their end is to control the planet, things are working pretty well for them right now. They don't see that. They probably don't want to upset the apple cart because their plans are coming together
1: pretty well so that 's true but but not not to the perfection that they would like,
0: right, right, you
1: know there's still a lot of opposition to what 's going on,
0: hey, this conversation between you and me right now, the fact that we can have it is is evidence that uh the game's not up yet
1: that 's true, and that 's why it 's incumbent upon all of us to start opening our minds and our ears and our eyes and start thinking for ourselves. Because they definitely have control over the mass media. Uh, there are now, you know, I was very concerned about 10, 12 years ago that most of the major media in this country had come under the control of about 20, uh, major corporations with interlocking ownership and, and directorship. Uh, well today it's down to five. Okay, five multinational corporations. Basically control everything we see and hear. And I'm not just talking about news, I'm talking about books, magazines, music, films, uh, movies, satellite, cable, uh, publishing, you know, you name it, book clubs. It's all under very tight control. And this is why that we seem to be in such disarray, uh, as a culture because there's such a wide gap between People who just watch TV for their information and people who, like you, who actually read and study, uh, the various, uh, sources of information.
2: We gotta spread this stuff around! Let's put it on the internet!
1: You're listening to Banal of America Audio.
2: Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this?
0: Well, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Uh, th- this is gonna be one of my long. <laughs> long <laughs> questions with multiple clauses in it, but bear with me. But it's interesting to think about, because, A, if we didn't have the Internet, we'd be even in worse shape, I think, as, yeah. a, as a people, because we'd be completely in the dark. And you wonder, originally, you know, kind of a few years ago, it, the idea kind of was that maybe the Internet was like this big mistake on on the powers of the bees part. Maybe they, it kind of got out of control, and they didn't want all this freedom in the hands of people. But then wow. now... The more you learn about what they're really doing with the Internet, it's kind of scary because they fed us this this world, this virtual world, but then in turn they were harvesting all of our information. So it's like maybe it wasn't a big mistake. Maybe it was just a giant, you know, worldwide web that they ensnared us in to
1: to get everybody... You know, uh, on the record, (laughs) in private. Yeah, yeah, first you have to understand the internet uh, never was uh, started off to be a great information highway for the people. That's what I mean. Starts off as a military project, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, th- I think to a certain extent, I think uh, it did kind of get out of hand. Uh, because, and now, but now then, I think, like you said, I think they realized, hey, this is great. Now we, I mean, look at all the people now on the social networks. You know, this is saving the uh, surveillance state millions of dollars. Right. You know? They don't have to come and listen to your telephone conversations. All they got to do is go to your Twitter page or whatever, and they know exactly what you're doing and who you're in contact with. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, and I'm, I'm just wondering when they're going to start sending letters out saying thank you for – being on the social media because you saved us from having to monitor everyone, you know. Yeah, no kidding. You think our taxes would go down, but forget it. <laughs> yeah, no. But, <laughs> but but then also, we now see, in fact, Congress is already again, even though it kind of got pushed down a little bit last time, but they are still considering laws and legislation to curtail the internet. And I venture to say, before too long, uh, you're going to see the the internet be. Uh, be severely uh, circumvented by, and it'll be it'll all be in the name of trying to save the children or help us be something more easy. I I saw this happen Tim uh, back in the 70s during the fad for uh, citizen band radio, CB yeah. radios. Mm-hmm. That started off with just some truck drivers uh, who would use the CB radio. They only had 24 channels and uh they but they had a huge range they could you could put boosters on there and you could get a a broadcast signal out i don't know 50 100 miles 200 miles and these truckers were really talking with each other, and, of course, they were doing stuff associated with their business, like smoky reports and uh, and roadblocks and, you know, damage to the highways and stuff, which was really good. But then also they were talking about events of the day, and then it got pretty popular, and everybody was buying a CB radio. Okay, and they were all talking, hey, good buddy, and they're sharing information all across the country, and that was one of the first steps, I think, in starting to really educate and wise up the population. Well, the governments got out of hand, and they're going, oh, my goodness, what are you going to do about this? <clears throat> if they tried to ban it, of course, there would be a huge outcry and backlash. Right. So what they did was they came out and they said, okay, look, you know, we're going to bring you a hundred channels now. Wow. So get your new CB radios. You get all these more channels, but they cut the power down to where you couldn't broadcast over about five miles. <laughs> and so all of a sudden everybody had their new C B radios but they found out they couldn't reach but about five miles and so today the C B fad is is just back to a few truckers using it. Okay. Yeah. The public's not using it anymore. And they're I don't think they're gonna to try to pull something similar with the internet because it it has gotten a little out of their control. Uh and I don't know how successful they're gonna be because I know China uh, companies countries like China uh, Egypt and various ones have tried, Greece have tried to curtail the internet and all, all you do is go get another server in another country. Right. Uh, and it, it's, it may be that it's not possible to put the horses back in the barn, but they're going to try and it's going to be, it'll get to be a deal where if you, uh, if, unless you want to just, uh, have a few, uh, internet sites that you visit, uh, uh, you're going to have to pay. You have to pay for this and pay for that, and they 're going to come up with some kind of tax, and they 're going to come up with some kind of less protected children, you know and they 're going to try to curtail the use of the internet. Now how successful they 're going to be i don 't know because I know uh, I know one kid who says he he, gets, uh, he bounces his stuff out of Russia or some other country, and so i 'm not sure how successful they 're going to be, but they are definitely working to try to curtail the region frequency of the internet
0: yeah maybe they'll come up with some law where you can't be bouncing stuff out of out of the country or something you know what I mean? yeah Who knows? sure that's, that's the kind of thing they
2: do i
1: mean i mean back in the 30s when the uh, uh money the great depression and money was scarce and and people started hoarding gold they the government just outlawed gold said you can't use gold you can't hold gold right and so you know yeah anything they want they can pass law for
0: pretty much now, I've been making this argument on the show for uh, for a while, uh, just sort of warning about the ubiquity of the cell phones. And, and I talked to some – I'm not sure if we discussed this on last year's show, but the, my idea kind of is that when I first got into this, th- there was a lot of fear and talk and discussion about microchipping and how everyone was going to get chipped. And, and my argument is that the cell phone is the chip, that they've already fooled everybody – you don't need to put it under the skin. They've got it in your pocket, so they don't need to put it, you know, they don't need to ship you. <laughs> That's my theory on, on why everybody has a cell phone now, because well, accomplishes almost the same I, thing. I,
1: I had a personal experience where uh, uh, my mother-in-law um, lost her bag at the airport, and the airline couldn't figure out where it went. Nobody could figure out what it was, but she had a cell phone in that bag, so they call that number, and they were able to track the bag through the cell phone number. So, see, yes, they can track your movements. If you carry around that cell phone, then they know where you are 24-7. And, uh yeah, it's a double-edged sword, and most people don't even realize that. And, of course, this is not even getting into the health hazards of the Cell phone. Oh, yeah. I mean, because the cell phones, will figure it out. You've got a little bitty device that fits in your shirt pocket, uh, or you can clip it to your belt and carry it around with you, and yet it is a radio transmitter, and it is transmitting uh, to satellites, and the satellites are transmitting to it. Uh, and via some of the cell towers, and if you're a, a for, uh, the only way you, that you get contact is by transmitting a very powerful electromagnetic uh uh energy wave okay well, if you hold that up to your head a great number of times during the day, uh you are just beaming at radiation into your brain. No wonder you're going to develop brain cancer. Right. And if you clip it to your belt, you're probably going to end up, if you're a man with testicular cancer, uh, or a woman with ovarian cancer, and you know, we just, and the problem is we don't really know what the long-term effects of this are going to be. But something tells me that in about 20, 25 years, we're going to start seeing the stories like we saw in the 60s and 70s of cigarette smoking Mm -hmm. that, hey, this is really bad for you, you know. By then it will be too late for a great number of people. But, again, this fits in, again, with the New World Order people in these bloodlines. They, in their opinion, there's just too much human population. How many times do you see all the stories they just continue about overpopulation, overpopulation? And let me tell you something. It's simply not true. Um, and here's, here's how I can prove that. Right now, today, in Hong Kong, and picture Hong Kong with all those high-rise buildings in just that little harbor area there. Yeah. The average living space, this is average. You got rich people with a lot more, and then you got real poor people with a, Room the size of a telephone booth, but the average living space in Hong Kong today is 1700 square feet. Hey, that's not a bad size apartment, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know I live in apartments all through college and I don't think any of them were close to 1700 square feet. Okay, so based on 1700 square feet, Tim, the entire 7 billion population of the world could live comfortably enough in the state of Texas. So, see, when you look at it from that standpoint, it's like, wow, there's not that much of an overpopulation problem. It, what we have is a population distribution problem. Everybody's jammed into those large megalopuses, you know? Right, right. Well, I don't know
0: if you've seen, they have these huge cities in China that are like, they're, they're empty, you know? Yeah. So it's like, if we have no room for people, why, are they, why do they have these giant cities in China that they can't get anybody into?
1: Yeah, or well, I tell you what, just try to drive through West Texas. <laughs> <laughs> you start off in the morning, and at six o'clock in the evening, you'll still be driving, and you haven't even gotten out of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you don't see anybody. There's nothing. Just you know, just flat land. This right. Point. So it's like, wait a minute. What we got to do is spread out. Yeah. And again we're back to the greatest conspiracy because we have the technology to do all that. We could have those mag trains, electric trains, uh, you know, we could have entertainment entertainment centers and business centers and and uh, social gathering centers, and everybody could live out and have an acre or two and grow their own food, put solar panels on the roof, you know. I mean, you know, we have the technology to have, to make this world a a wonderful, livable place, but no, it ain't happening.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the things that, that stood out in the book that uh, I wanted to ask you about, sort of extrapolate a little bit on it, you talk about the Patriot Act and how It it turns out they they primarily use it more for the war on drugs than they do for catching terrorists. And I was just kind of wondering, I guess, why? Why? I mean, you would think if they if they want to break the human population, you know, why would they care when they want people on all kinds of drugs and stuff, just just ruining their lives anyway? Well, they're attacking
1: us on all fronts. Yeah, they're they're spraying through the chemtrails. They're spraying stuff in the air that's dumping on us and the, the air we have to breathe. Uh, the food is bad. If it's not, if it's not actually poisonous or has, uh, debilitating chemicals in it, it's, it's rich with sugar and, and M- MSG and all kinds of stuff that's making us o- uh, overweight, uh, obese and unhealthy, uh, country. And people uh, and the water—they're putting fluoride in the water. See, in fact, here the latest big thing was the fact that we claimed that Assad and Syria had his uh, forces had uh, used sarin gas uh, against the civilian population. And uh, Obama and the hawks in Congress said we got to go bomb them and missile them, you know, because that's that's wrong to to put that. Well. Consider this, one of the major ingredients of CERN gas is sodium fluoride, which uh, numbs you down, uh, dumbs you <laughs> down. Okay, so if we're going to go and attack leaders who have used sodium fluoride against their own populations, I guess we're going to have to start with the White House because, <laughs> because the government is putting sodium fluoride in our water supply, two-thirds of the water supply in this country. So you know, this is—they are just trying to depopulate uh, the the nation, and the, because the, with their control through these uh, corporations, they they want us dead, basically. Um, Prince Philip, you know, of the royal Windsor family, which, by the way, is. The Windsor was just a castle they once owned. They changed their name from Mountbatten, and Mountbatten got turned around from Bottenburg. They're all Germans, okay?
2: Yeah. <clears throat>
1: and they all trace back again to these same bloodlines. In fact, in my book, you'll find that uh, President George W. Bush and uh, also Al Gore and also John Kerry uh, <laughs> and also Barack Obama and also Dick Cheney Are all related, yeah, and they're all of the same bloodline family, and they all trace back to the uh, royal family of England, to the Windsors. It's absolutely incredible. What do you think the odds are uh, of that? And (laughs) these are these are the very people that that I'm talking about, and they want us dead. Prince Philip is quoted publicly as saying, "If there is reincarnation, he wants to come back as a deadly virus." to help solve the overpopulation problem. (laughs) They want us dead. And so I'm telling people you better start paying attention to all this uh, New World Order talk because this is not just a philosophical debate. This is self-defense.
2: You better
1: know what these people are up to and start taking steps to protect yourself and your family.
0: Well, see, the scary part and the deceptive part, uh you know, and it's clear that this is part of the way they work, is that everything is, like, so slow. It's it's a seeping effect, you know. Like I said, we've been talking for eight years, and it, it's getting worse, but it's getting worse so slowly that people, I think, are, you know, some people are waking up, but others, like, still haven't woken up to the fact that, that there seems to be something afoot.
1: Well, that's cause they're watching TV. <laughs> you know, and so they're totally distracted and discombobulated and, and, uh, spoon fed misinformation and disinformation. Uh, it, yeah, uh, the whole idea is to keep us ignorant and therefore keep control over us.
0: Right, right. And like you make the point in the book to these folks, to these families and everything, you know, a year, a decade, a century, it doesn't matter to them as long as the overarching ultimate plan comes together, which I presume is just total control over the planet.
1: Right. Well, if you want to know what the game plan is, I would suggest that you read a book that was published by a guy. His name was Eric Arthur Blair, and uh, he was a Fabian socialist uh, in England and although he was not of oh, the royalty he nevertheless was uh, well connected to the aristocracy there in England and I think he got uh, a pretty good view of what the plan was and uh, what they planned for everything and so in 1948 he wrote a book under the name George Orwell and, mm-hmm. he, and he transposed the numbers of the date and his book was called 1984 And in there, if you'll read it, you'll find that um, they had divided the world into three major economic blocks. In the book, it was uh, Asiana, East Asiana, and Oceania. Uh, Today in the real world, we've got the European Union and the soon-to-be North American Union, the South American union already exists and then the, it will be easy enough to since they have top down control societies uh to create the Asian union yeah. all right and so then you've got these three socialist unions that take care of everybody watch over them surveil them from cradle to grave uh but they're always uh, in conflict with one another and as soon as one conflict is resolved, say, between the North American Union and the Asian Union, then, then we'll go against the European Union. And they all keep that uh, conflict going to maximize control and profit. Uh, and we see that beginning to take shape today. That is the new world order they're talking about. A lot of people don't quite understand the plan and they, they keep saying they want one world government. No, they don't really want one world government because then they couldn't keep up this conflict, uh, and the tensions, uh, to keep up the, the, you know, like, uh, armaments right. race and keep the, keep the power, uh, going. So there's the plan right there and yeah, it was all the different in 1948. Yeah. 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 And by the way if you go read 1984, uh you'll find that uh, the protagonist Winston Smith, his job was to, this is 1948. His job was to work for the Ministry of Truth. And he would sit at a, at a desk with a view screen and a keyboard. Oops, sounds like a computer. <laughs> and his job was to go back into the historical records and alter them, uh, to conform to the latest party, uh, official version. Uh, in other words, if If uh, Tim Banal was suddenly uh, deemed a non-person by the government, then he would go in and find all the pictures of Tim Banal and all the references to him and delete them and get them out of there. So uh, (laughs) that just didn't happen. And this is happening today. It's pretty wild
0: stuff. I mean, you know, you wonder... You know, I think you, you asked the rhetorical question in the book, you know, after you say, are they even us, these powers that be, you wonder, is there a counterpoint to this? Is there, you know, where's our enki? You know, where's the, where's, who's going to bail us out of this? Is is it, is it up to us? And if it is, is it hopeless? That's the scary
2: part.
1: Well, I don't think it's hopeless because truth will out. And uh, truth will come through eventually, uh, but all you have to do is go back and look through history. The reason that the, that the dark side has a very uh, competent and uh, focused you know yeah. group. Uh, that they have a definite plan and they're working their plan and then you ask where's the counterpart to that and unfortunately it seems to be that I'm not sure there is one although throughout history there have been people who've tried to break the mold and show us other ways of living and of course you can go back to Jesus uh, and you can talk about Gandhi and you can talk about Martin Luther King you might even bring in John F. Kennedy uh, you know and, and what happened to these guys they all got murdered right? Right. <laughs> so so, see, if you're the good guy, then you preach goodness and sweetness and light and consideration and rational. Thank you. But if you're one of the bad guys, you just kill your opponents. So that's why they seem to have the upper hand all the time. There's even a, there's even a conspiracy theory that the recent uh, shooting at the Navy Yard uh, was to uh, to uh, murder some of the. Uh, provost marshals, executive uh, officers there, who may have been uh, preparing to uh, arrest <laughs> President Obama on charges of treason for any number of things. Uh, you know, we all know that he has not not only not fulfilled any of his promises in 2008, but that he's actually almost out Bush-Bush. Uh, and here he was trying to start another war in Syria, and, and the irony of that was he's a The president that gets a Nobel Peace Prize, and yet he's waged more war than George W. Bush did.
0: Yeah, that's the I I, kind of heard sort of uh, rumblings about you know military coup uh, in in the ramp up to Syria. You wonder if that that might be something that might bail us out of uh, the situation. Well, you
1: know, I've looked into that too, and here's the big problem. Uh, if they tried to pull something like that, well, the, their big stumbling block is they don't control the mass media. Mm. And as a result, we would be told, oh, this is an attempt by the generals to a military dictatorship and set in place, and they're trying to overturn the Constitution. You know, the exact opposite of what they'd be doing, but since they don't control the mass media, that would be the story everybody heard, and they would probably not be able to get the support majority of the American citizens, so that's what precludes them from taking steps and trying to arrest uh, some of these Washington leaders, you know. Hmm. Now, if we could ever get a free press going again, uh, assuming it's ever been free, but in a way it has been. When I started in the news business in the 60s, uh, most of the local newspapers, TV stations, radio stations were owned by local people. And although there were, there were problems there, sometimes they'd be a little bit too much chamber of commerce, you know, yay for our side, yay for our team. But I find that there's worse stuff than that. Okay. And that is when they all get taken over by these large multinational corporations that are run by people who don't even give a damn about what happens to the United States. In fact, we're kind of an irritant in their side because, uh, you know, we have in this country, a tradition of freedom and democracy and we have a, a constitution and bill of rights that guarantees us the legal basis for our individual freedom and liberty. And worse than that, we all have guns. Okay. (laughs) So they got a real problem with us. And that's why they are pulling out all the stops in an effort to, to paint guns as something terrible and, and uh, that we have to take them all away and then we'll have a safer, nicer world. Uh, yeah, for them. Okay. Right. Take over. No, I, I think the fact that we've got so many guns in the hands of the, uh, civilians here in this country is the only reason that we're not under a total clamp down dictatorship right now. But it's certainly moving in that direction. And speaking of, they keep saying guns kill, guns kill. You know, uh, I had a shotgun and I loaded it up and set it over in the corner and. And, uh, it, it's been there for a long, long time. It, it hadn't killed anybody. <laughs> so it's just, I guess, uh, I guess it's falling down on the job. Well, it's,
0: he, I had this in the notes, this rash of mass shootings. It's really scary, uh, you know, you just wonder what is going on with the world. I think well, people going are on with, you, hey,
1: what's going on with the mass shootings is not the guns. Everybody's got a gun. Right. And we, hey, I, I grew up here in Texas, you know, everybody had a gun. I and mean, we even brought guns to school, you know that have them in the racks of the pickup truck, you know yeah, but but nobody shot anybody the thing The reason for these mass shootings are the drugs, the psychoactive psychotropic drugs, yeah, everybody, the guy in the navy yard the the uh, two guys at columbine, you name it you, you name it they 're all on these drugs, and these drugs they 'll tell you right off that they promote homicidal and suicidal tendencies. Well, you know, if you get somebody who might be kind of borderline anyway, and you give him these drugs, and then maybe you even beam some of these uh, electromagnetic frequencies at them, man, you can drop them over the edge, and they'll they'd just go out and start doing anything. Yeah. This is what we need to concentrate on, but you rarely ever hear about any of this in the mass media because they count on the pharmaceutical corporations for a, a huge chunk of their advertising revenue. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you turn on the nightly news and every other commercial's a Viagra. It's either a commercial.
1: pickup truck or a drug. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Well, that that kind of ties into the question earlier about why they use the Patriot Act uh for the war on drugs. They they want people on drugs. They just want them on their drugs.
1: Exactly. They, you know, That's why they continue to outlaw marijuana, although it's been proven time and time and time again. Number one, nobody has ever died from an overdose of marijuana. Okay, nobody. And number two, there's more and more Scientific evidence that medical marijuana has actually proved beneficial to so many people, and yet it's still classified as a as a Class A narcotic, you know, by the federal government. Uh, but but here's the irony of that. Do you know that the uh, federal government uh, has a patent on medical marijuana? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think they're just waiting until they can get a lock on it and then they'll legalize it. But see, the problem is they don't, I'm not sure they'll ever fully legalize it because once they legalize it, then you, you, you know, you, you're not going to have to go buy, buy it from the government like you do, uh, uh, other things. Have to get a prescription or whatever because if they ever legalize it, you can just grow it in your own yard. Right, and so it'll it'll take all the profit out of the drug thing, and and it'll all drop off. And of course, the only argument I hear is that oh man, if they legalize it, everybody'll turn it into potheads. Well, you know what, Tim? That's the same argument they used by the people opposed to ending alcohol prohibition. They said, well, if you end prohibition, everybody's going to turn into a drunk. Well, it didn't happen, right. okay? Because once you could get alcohol uh legally. Then alcoholism actually dropped. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. Plus the mystique of it all is gone, and yeah, in some there's people's no mind. mystique.
1: There's no big money in it. Organized crime goes and does something else. You know, it, it makes eminently good sense. But then, of course, when has common sense gotten anything to do with the laws they keep passing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's it's you know, I mean, we you, you wonder beyond the, the the drugging of these people. It, it, it does seem like this is a tension going on right now people are just tense it's the economy it's this it's the, it's the weight of the world right now and it's scary you feel like things are coming to a head and you wonder what yeah. what that well, is well
1: i definitely feel like things are coming to a head because all you have to do is look at the preparations that the governments making on the one hand they say oh everything's fine folks you know just keep voting uh, you know keep buying stock <laughs> you know and yet on the other hand they're building these uh, deep underground Uh, bunkers, they're stockpiling uh, weapons, they're stockpiling ammunition, a lot of which is of a caliber that's not even compatible to any of the weapons used by our military or police forces. So wait a minute, what are they doing with all this stuff?
2: Yeah, yeah. You wonder wonder if they know
0: something's coming that we don't know. They
1: know know something.
0: And, and, you know, circle back around again to the very beginning of our occulted history, it's like I think the evidence is there, as you've amply demonstrated in the book, that, that the human race seems to rise and fall and rise and fall. And you're wondering if we're at the, at the crescendo here of, of one last rise before right. we reach well, the nadir.
1: Well, of course, then they they've finished up the, the Seed Vault up in uh, Spitsbergen, uh, in, in Norway, uh, which was a joint operation of the Norwegian government and Monsanto and Bill Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation. Yeah. And what they've done there is they have put into the side of this granite mountain this huge seed vault uh that uh, is holding all of the world's uh, seeds, you know, but these are um these are not The Terminator seeds that Misanto is trying to sell all around the world, they're what called heritage seeds. They're the seeds of plants and food crops that will actually germinate and keep producing food for the next season and the next season. You know, so I think that tells you something right there. I think they know something's coming and they want to be prepared for it.
0: Yeah, it makes you wonder if like, you know, going back to that rise and fall thing, if like this time around, they know about the rises and the falls, and they said we're going to survive this one we're gonna make it through this one we'll go mm-hmm. underground whatever their plan is we'll go off planet you know and survive the the planet x uh well, event or whatever, but it seems like that's their whole thing like making sure they survive at all costs.
1: Exactly. I think it even goes beyond that. I I think they want to do more than just survive. They want to be able to come out from under their shelters and then take control. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Well, well, that, that's
0: uh on that scary note what's what,
1: <laughs> no let's end it on an upper note okay, okay. Hey, look there's more of us than there are of them and if we'll just wise up and take back our power as as powerful uh energy beings that we are then you know we could turn this around we I, and we don't have to have a big bloody revolution all we got to do is just say no right okay you know when they say well we want all your taxes say no well we're going to go to war no you know well, yeah. we're going to make you buy health insurance whether you want it or not no you <laughs> know, just say no say no we're not going to do this you know and the key thing there is we got to get rid of all those clowns in washington right. who are either blackmailed or bought off okay or intimidated by the special interest groups and what do you do? You vote them all out, and put somebody in there that nobody's ever heard of, and then you watch them like a hawk. And if they do what you think they ought to be doing, and work for the betterment of the of the entire population, then you vote them back in. And if they don't do what you think they ought to do, then you vote them out again. Okay. Exactly. Now, you know, Tim, that's not even a revolutionary or radical idea. That's the way it's supposed to work. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. I got two quick questions for you before I let you go. Um, this came to me. I had a few beers last night, and this came to me out of the ether. So I feel like it's kismet that I ask you this out of the phone. Exactly. Um, for some reason, it, it, it dawned on me to ask you about well, the the whole Ross Perot thing that happened back when uh, Clinton got elected, and, and he, mm-hmm. you know, it was very, it's very mysterious, and you never hear anything about him ever anymore, and he barely ever, you ever barely ever see him. I don't even know. He's still alive. I presume he is. But yeah. what, what what the hell happened there with that whole okay, thing? Okay,
1: well, it's pretty simple. Uh, Ross Perot is a big supporter of the Republicans and a big supporter of George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, but then he got really interested in the POW issue uh, for Vietnam veterans, the fact that apparently we left a lot of people behind uh, when we pulled out of Vietnam about 1975, I guess it was. Okay, so he got really, so he had money and he hired investigators and they began to go and they found out that yes, there were still people being held, Americans being held in Southeast Asia, uh, but they were being held as hostages because the, the uh, Vietnamese communists that had taken over, they wanted some concessions out of the United States. And So the United States says, no, we don't recognize that, and we don't think that's true, and blah, blah, and it was a big stalemate. But then in the process of investigating the uh, Vietnam uh, POWs, he found the drug-running routes where people within the CIA and people within the military were using tax-supported stuff, you know, yeah. to to smuggle drugs, hard drugs, heroin, into this country. And it so incensed him that he decided he was going to run against George Herbert Walker Bush uh, in, uh, when was that, 92, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – Okay, and so then he started his third party and he started his campaign. He spoke the truth. He told about that, that, uh, you know, the the uh, hollow sound we were going to hear uh, from the World Trade Organization. He began to figure out that this little ruling elite or would-be ruling elite uh, that was behind these secret societies like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, and then behind the World Trade Organization was trying to worm their way into control over the United States. And he began, uh, you know, talking truthfully and people responded and there was a huge groundswell of support for Ross Perot and then just as his, his third party campaign was gaining a lot of momentum he dropped out right now why did he drop out well he didn't make out a secret he said he said because out of the concern for the safety of his family now now wait a minute let's think about this a minute here he was a presidential candidate a contender supposedly he was eligible for protection from the CIA, the FBI, the Secret Service, the U.S. military, police forces in this country. Plus he was so, super who, rich. Yeah, so who is he afraid of? And I submit to you, them. Now, yeah. That's who he's afraid of because they killed Kennedy and got away with it. They killed Martin Luther King and,
2: and Robert Kennedy and they
1: got away with it. They were in charge and so I'm sure they passed the word, you know, you, you bow out or we'll not only kill you, we'll kill your family and your family dog.
2: Gee. So he,
1: he just drops out. Yeah. But see, but see, nobody, the, one of the, the only rules of the game today is you can't give away the game.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's because of course, if he'd stood up and said that what I just said, everybody go, uh, the media would brand him as an absolute insane lunatic. You know, this guy's a nut. And unfortunately, too many people would go along with it because they don't know what's actually going on.
0: Exactly. And the final uh, quick question for you, and I, you know, just... uh I'm I'm kind of proud to hear, uh, on the 50th anniversary almost of the JFK assassination, we didn't spend the whole conversation on that. But I guess what's your overall (laughs) thoughts here on the, I'm sure you're going to be a very busy man come November. uh, Oh yeah. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on Let me
1: get in an unabashed plug here. My book, Crossfire, The Plot to Kill Kennedy, uh, is just about to to come out in a new, upgraded, expanded, and uh, updated uh, version. It's still awesome. going to be Crossfire: the plot to go Kennedy, and it should be out uh, possibly in early November. Excellent. And uh, so be sure and look for that. It's got a tremendous new index in it, and it's got a lot of new information. Okay, Kennedy assassination is real simple. Uh, you can either believe government pronouncements backed by a little or even contradictory information that says Os- Lee R. V. Oswald did it all by himself. Or you can begin to follow the official government line uh, from the House Select Committee on Assassinations uh, in the 19, early 1980s that said, well, there was at least one shot being fired from the grassy knolls. So it was probably a conspiracy. Right. Okay. So if you accept that it was a conspiracy, which most people have, according to the national polls, then you have to ask yourself, why is it 50 years later that it is not only not acknowledged by the government or the mass media that? There was a conspiracy, but that they're still trying to cover that fact up. Okay, well, that's because in November of 1963 there was a coup d'état in this country, and I can tell you that it was handled at the uppermost levels of the power of the federal government of the United States. And this, because and the two men who I will name as guilty in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy are his successor, Lyndon Baines Johnson, and his next-door neighbor and old buddy, FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover. Now, can I prove that those two men orchestrated or ordered the Kennedy assassination? No, I cannot. But what I can prove, beyond any reasonable shadow of a doubt, is that those two men took steps that included destruction of evidence, fabrication of evidence, suppression of evidence, alteration of evidence and intimidation of witnesses. Now these, under our legal system, that makes them accessories after the fact. And in Texas, we've executed people for a murder that the facts show they never pulled the trigger. But they knew about it, they were present, or they helped cover it up, and it made them accessories after the fact. And under our system of law, that makes them as guilty as the person who pulled the trigger. Yeah. So Hoover and Johnson are guilty and for covering up the truth of the Kennedy assassination. And that's what turned what at the time was merely another Texas homicide, because there were no federal laws about assassinating the president, into a true coup d'etat, a change of government through a violent act.
0: Well, I, I I'm concerned that you know in about six weeks on the anniversary, it's going to be a maddening period of time uh, because I'm afraid we're not we're going to be fed the same old BS that we've been fed all these years. Oh
1: yeah, uh, you're going to be inundated, yeah. and it's all going to come from CBS, NBC, CNN, National Public Radio, all of the major mass media uh, media outlets. Uh, and that's because of this control by these five corporations.
0: Right. Do you expect any revelations at all, or probably not?
1: I don't see any ground-shaking revelations. I okay. think that there are, there already is, and I think there will be more and more information coming out uh, to uh, substantiate what I just said.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know. And of course, the thing is, there are already a spate of books uh, and articles coming out. Uh, some of which are trying to impress the, the old discredited lone assassin theory. Uh, but then there's also others now coming out that are fun, that are just, uh, rehashing the, uh, evidence to show that something else happened. Uh, for example, in my new, uh, Crossfire, you're going to find that even the famous is a film which uh, of course was bought up by Time-Life Corporation and was kept from the American public for 15 years after the assassination okay and uh and yet but since that became available and it clearly shows Kennedy being knocked to the left rear by a shot that indicates a shot from the right front and yeah. of course Oswald supposedly was you know six floors above him to the rear um but Now that's even called into question because now we have evidence showing that the Zapruder film was in the hands of the uh, CIA's uh, very sophisticated, ahead-of-its-time photographic centers in New York before it was handed over to Time Life. And I've got 11 Hollywood film and video experts who are now on the record uh, saying that the Zapruder film shows obvious Wow. So you can't even trust the Zapruder film as a valid piece of evidence.
0: There's a revelation for you, folks. And that's going to be in the new Crossfire book that's coming out around November, right? Yes. What else do you have on tap? This is the what's next for you, and then I'll let you get going. Uh, You know, aside from the Crossfire uh
1: Reissue well, right and update. Now, yeah, I'm just trying to get past the 50th anniversary. <laughs> I've got some, uh, I've got some ideas for some future books and, but, uh, it's a little premature to okay. be talking about them.
0: There you go. That's fine. How about speaking engagements? Any events you want to mention? I'm sure, well, I'm going to be, yeah, gonna be at
1: the Lancer conference in Dallas on, on November the 22nd. Um, let me think. And, Where, uh, you know, is there a, a hub we can send folks to to find out com? Well, you can go to my website, which, oddly enough, is com. <laughs> That's Mars with two R's. Okay, so folks, stay tuned there for more information on where you can catch Jim live. Yeah, lots of stuff there. I'm getting ready to post an article about the arms, the under under the table arms deals that are going on, and this ties together some recent events: the the deaths of our ambassador in Benghazi, the fast and furious gun running of the DEA, uh, and uh, the arming of the Syrian rebels. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the major scandals of the last year or so um, gets tied together, and I will be posting that pretty quick.
0: Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, on that note, Jim, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and helping us kick off Season 8. It's been an amazing seven years so far, and I'm looking forward to another great year of interviews, and I always enjoy starting it with you because I hold you in such high regard. Uh, Thank you, man. If not for you, none of this would have happened, so I can't thank you enough.
1: (laughs) Don't throw that responsibility back on me. (laughs) (laughs) But Tim, I appreciate it, and best of luck to you in your eighth season. Thank you very much, sir. Have a great night. Adios.
0: That does it for the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 8. Big, big thanks to Jim Mars for once again joining us to kick off another season of BOA Audio. Be sure to check out his website, www.jimmars.com. Pretty simple, all one word, jimmars.com. And do yourself a favor, folks, go out and pick up Our Occulted History. It is outstanding and really is a must-read for any hardcore BOA audio listener. Moving right along now, normally it would be time for BOA Audio listener feedback, but since this is the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 8, we have a slew of in-house notes to discuss. As teased at the very beginning of this episode, BOA Audio Season 8 is going to be unlike any other previous season of the program. How is that, you ask, because this is pretty much very similar to how we've kicked off every year of the show. Well, presumably, unless this is the first time you've ever heard BOA Audio or simply stopped listening when we closed the book on BOA Audio Season 7 back at the beginning of August, you know that we have been producing an all-new version of BOA Audio simply known as BOA Live. And quite frankly, folks, it's been an awesome ride. But I know that there are certain limitations to the live format. So as I began to put together BOA Audio Season 8, I knew I wanted to bring in the electricity and the economics of time that really help BOA Live and incorporate that into the new season of BOA Audio. So here on the 8th season of this program, we're going to do something very different. We're going to be having taped shows and live programs. That way, hopefully, the interminable wait between episodes that many listeners grew tired of over the last few seasons has come to an end. It allows us to put out a taped show, follow that up with a live show, and then do another tape show after that. That's kind of the plan right now, to sort of alternate between tape shows and live shows. Maybe down the line, I mean, there's going to be 33 episodes here this season, so eventually we may end up doing, you know, two live shows or two tape shows back-to-back. Depends on the scheduling and all that good stuff. This probably goes without saying, but if you can't tune into the live program, of course you're going to be able to listen to the show down the line. It's going to be posted to the BOA Audio podcast feed, the one you grab the MP3s from today, it'll be available on there probably within 90 minutes of the conclusion of the live program. So if you can't tune in Tuesday nights at 9, which is generally when we're going to do the live show, you're going to be able to listen to it around midnight to 1 a.m. on Wednesday or kicking off your day Wednesday morning with a fresh BOA audio. Now, again, I'm probably treading over ground that is known to people, but I'll try and explain a little bit more about what to expect going forward here in Season 8 as we incorporate the live episodes into the mix. You're not going to be hearing me at the beginning of the show preview the episode. You're not going to hear me at the end of the show do these lengthy outros where we do listener feedback and do a whole bunch of plugs and where I talk to the BOA Audio listeners. I think that's going to help us out a lot because these things take a lot longer than you might think and really are part of the big delay between episodes. This way, I'll have a couple of weeks between shows to do all that stuff and hopefully get the episodes out to you in a timely fashion. Beyond that, the only major differences you're going to hear between a BOA Live episode and a taped program for those folks who are just going to be listening to them as normally and not tuning in live will be a slight difference in the audio quality. I'm sure some people will say it's better on the live shows. Some folks may say it's worse. I think it's kind of a push, but it's certainly different. And the only other downside is for the folks who really enjoy the in-depth recaps of the episodes, you're only going to get those with the taped shows because those are the result of me sitting down and editing the episode and then carefully putting in each little segment that we discuss in the recap. With the live show, there is no editing, so I don't sit down and really go over the show with a fine-tooth comb and detail all the stuff we talked about in the show. Aside from that... I don't think you're going to notice much difference because I didn't notice much difference when hosting these live programs that we put together over the last six weeks or so. Personally, I found it thrilling, and I loved doing the live shows. It was a real difference for me as far as producing these kind of things. and It has its pros, and it has its cons, and it's definitely something, as I said earlier, I wanted to incorporate here into BOA Audio Season 8. The show is evolving, my friends, and it's evolving in a big way. With all that said, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Normally we plug next week's episode at the end of the show, but in keeping with this taped-slash-live format for BOA Audio Season 8 and getting us off to a strong start here on the new season, you're not even going to have to wait a week to hear from me next, folks. Our next episode will be coming at you live Tuesday, October 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And it will feature one of the more controversial guests from BOA Audio Season 7, making her return to the program, this time on the live show, Sharon Hill, the creator and editor of Doubtful News. I can't even really tell you what we're going to be talking about because it will be live, my friends. Once again, Tuesday, October 8th, 2013 at 9 p.m. Eastern. If you want to know how to listen to that, you just simply go to banalofamerica.com and in the box where you see BOA Audio Season 8 with Jim Marr's name there promoting the premiere episode, Right underneath that, it says, Next Episode, Live, Tuesday, 10, 8, 13 at 9 p.m. Eastern, Sharon Hill, Doubtful News. Just click on that. It'll be a link. That'll take you to the webpage where you can listen to the live program. And, as noted, if you can't tune in, Tuesday the 8th at 9 p.m., within a few hours, the webpage will have rolled over and you'll see all of the linkage there to pick up the mp3s or listen via streaming audio. So, I think that pretty much covers how things are going to unfold here on BOA Audio Season 8. I want to hear your thoughts, of course. I want to hear your feedback. I'm still looking for your guest suggestions, so feel free to contact me if you have questions about how the live format is going to work definitely shoot me a line, and I'd be happy to answer your questions. You can reach me via boaaudio at hotmail.com, or head on over to the website and click the contact button. Additionally, if you are a fan of the interactive, join up at the official BOA forum, the US of E.com, theusofe.com, And of course I should plug Banal of America on Facebook. For those folks keeping score at home, we are up to 1,087 likes. So we've left 1,000 in the distance. Now we're looking to get to 1,100 and I'll throw in the shout out for whoever is number 1,100 in keeping with tradition. Just punch in Banal of America on Facebook and like us. We've been doing a pretty good job at BOA on Facebook. Promoting the new episodes of the show as they come up and getting folks in tune with what they'll be hearing from BOA. Now let me take a moment and thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, our webmaster Ray Wagle, and our graphics guru Jeremy Boston. We are so close to having BOA 3.0 done for you folks. I want to apologize to the BOA staff, because they've been sending me stuff to post at the website, and I've just been holding it off, because we seem to be closer and closer all the time to getting BOA 3.0 up and running, and I don't want their stuff to get lost in the shuffle. So we're sitting on some columns, which we should have posted soon. I've gotten emails from people asking, what is going on with the columnists, because we don't have many contributions lately. That's entirely my fault, because I've been foolhardy about waiting it out to get BOA 3.0 up and running. But it is very, very close, and much like BOA Live, it will be a game-changer for Banal of America. Until then, stay tuned to banalofamerica.com. Stay tuned to Banal of America on Facebook. That's kind of become my hub here as we wait for 3.0 to get up and running. Lots of stuff in the cooker, folks. I don't know if you can tell, but I was pretty burned out in the summertime. But I'm feeling more refreshed and more energized and more excited about Banal of America than I have been in years. So I cannot wait to unleash that on the BOA listeners and readers as this entire transformation unfolds. With that in mind, now comes the time where I turn to you folks and ask you to make a donation to the BOA franchise. Using Blog Talk Radio to produce the live programs is a costly endeavor. I can honestly say that BOA Season 8 will probably be the most expensive season of BOA audio ever, But that change in cost is not going to be passed down to you because unlike so many other programs, folks, BOA is free and shall remain free for as long as we possibly can do so. How do we manage that? That's via donations from the hardcore BOA audio listeners who help us out. If you want to be a part of that crew of folks who are responsible for fueling the paranormal entertainment mothership there are two ways to do so. You can head on over to banalofamerica.com and click the PayPal button. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the Internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, you're in luck because we have a P.O. Box just for that purpose. Simply write to Tim Banal, P.O. Box two three two. Pinehurst, Mass. 01866, and you can find the complete address at Benal of America under the PayPal button. If you decide to send us a donation to the P.O. Box, though, please make it payable to Tim Benal, and please include some correspondence so I can reach out to you and thank you for your donation. As always, it goes without saying, my friends... No donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. I've already plugged the next edition of the program. Let me do so once again. Coming at you Tuesday, October 8, 2013, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Sharon Hill of Doubtful News joins us on BOA Audio Season 8 Live. As such, I can't even tell you what the conversation will entail, but I'm interested in finding out what it's been like for Sharon since she first appeared on BOA Audio last spring. What has the reception been from the paranormal community I'm sure we're also going to get Sharon's take on various stories from the world of the paranormal over the last six months. And I want to ask her a little bit about what has been a rather scandalous summer for the skeptical community. So all those topics are on tap for the live edition of the program featuring Sharon Hill. And I should have mentioned this earlier, but one of the exciting parts of the live editions of BOA Audio Season 8 is that you can join in on the fun. There's a phone number for listeners to call in and ask questions. There's a chat room that you can join up in during the live program and submit your questions for the guest as well. So it's certainly a more interactive version of BOA Audio, but still featuring the always compelling conversations. Tune in Tuesday, October 8th, 2013 at 9 p.m. as we welcome Sharon Hill from Doubtful News back to BOA Audio. And on that note, we close the book on the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 8. Once again, enormous thanks to the iconic Jim Mars for joining us on yet another season premiere and Thank you folks out there, the hardcore BOA Audio listeners, the ones who have tuned in year after year, season after season, and supported this program through thick and thin. Your patience is about to be rewarded, my friends, because BOA Audio Season 8 is going to be epic. Thank you for your enduring support of the program. You are the fuel that drives the paranormal entertainment mothership that is Binal of America. Thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist.
2: Until next time, this is Tim Binal, thanking you for listening and signing off.